Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, and keep your place there, we'll get there in a little bit, Luke chapter 15. Now last week, we talked about the purpose of every home, and that is to reproduce new godly homes, homes that do not just imitate the homes that you come from, but rather build greater. You've heard that before, haven't you? (laughs) Than the homes that you come from. It's the growth principle, principle. The thought that you can never stay the same. And it's well known in the business world, isn't it? And it's a principle in the Word of God that either you grow or you die. You're not designed to stay in one place for any length of time. Matthew 25, 14 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. He doubled it. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast That is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents forever. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Luke 17, 7 there's a story, but which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, by and by, when he has come in from the field, go sit down to meet. And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. 
Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise, ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. In both cases, there is a single term for those who only do the minimal requirements. They are called unprofitable. Unprofitable. You know, business, you know, think about it in the business, without profit, it can't grow. We are to be, we have to be profitable. We need to have a vision for our family to be more holy than us, to do more than we have done, to sooner know the Lord, to sooner learn to obey God, to sooner know the will of God for their life. The simple result is growth. God expects growth. From the very onset in Genesis, God called His creation to grow, to reproduce. I watched a BBC film, I think I mentioned this before, it's called The Green Planet. It's an amazing film. Now, the BBC is an evolutionist type uh, place, but it, I, I love it because they just, they don't realize it, but they're, they're preaching. They're preaching God. The film showed plant and tree growth through some amazing time-lapse photography, stuff that they haven't been able to do till recent times. The photography picture, what I would describe, it kind of gets to you, a horrifying battle to survive and thrive. You would not believe what these plants do to survive, to get into the sun, to grow. You know, it's written in nature for God's creation to grow. At family camp, this year, a focus has to do with growth, to grow in grace. Second Peter 3.18, but grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory now and forever. Amen, or so be it. Now, when it comes to raising children, we expect growth, don't we? Physically and mentally, for sure, we are very sensitive to the mental and physical health of our children, of which a lot of times we have little control over. Things happen, don't they? And things change drastically. But what about the spiritual health of our children? That's something we have much control over, and the very thing that we'll see our children through when the physical and mental difficulties of life come. You know, parents have a lot to say about the proper development of their children, but par and the parents have much influence, especially in those early years, and that influence should be used wisely to prepare their children for the future. For as a child grows older, they will begin to make decisions of their own. We can do everything we know to lead our children in the right direction, we can leave them a huge spiritual inheritance for them to grow greater with, but what they do with it ultimately is a choice all of their own. So what do you do when your child decides to go in a wrong direction? What then? Well, the Bible gives us an example through the life we're going to look at at the life of the prodigal son 
and his family. Today I want to explore the answer of what to do with the wayward direction of a child. But the message does not have to apply to parenting a rebellious teenager or adult. It could apply in the opposite direction. A child's concern for a rebellious parent. Or perhaps a spouse going in the wrong direction. Or perhaps a brother or a sister or a friend. And rebellion just doesn't, in this mission, doesn't just apply to total rebellion. It could be a seemingly small area or blind spot in their life. But regardless of the magnitude of the rebellion, the principles are the same. And I'd like to entitle the message, and this, you're going to find this a little interesting, The Porches of Your Home. The Porches of your home. Let's pray. Father, unless your Holy Spirit speaks to hearts today, it's fruitless. We need you. We need you to speak to us. We need we need you today. Lord, I need you. What a lesson you have for us as you show us how to deal with these difficult things in life. How you deal with them. And they're strange, they're different to the nature of us. But they work. May we hear you today, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you might be wondering about the title of the message now. Uh, Tim and Esther, this is probably really close to them. They're working on their porches. <laughs> and... Uh, But as we travel through the message, the metaphor of porches as it relates to dealing with wayward directions in children, it will become a lot clearer. I'd like to begin the message with the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11 and ending at verse 32. So you should have your finger there if you caught that in the beginning there. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in, the, and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called Thy son, but the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, 
and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and he came and drew nigh to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was not meet that we should... It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this is the, this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Now, there's three parts to this story, and that's how I'm going to present the message. It begins with leaving. It transitions into waiting, and it ends with returning. There's three main characters in the story. There are two sons. A younger one who decides to take his inheritance and waste it in the world. An older son who stays faithful to his father's work. And then there's the father of the two sons. And the father, I believe, is a good representation of God the Father and how he deals with things. And I hope you'll find some comfort in that. Now let me tell you something. Both sons had issues. (laughs) I'm not too sure which one had the worst issue. There are outward rebellious ones who have left home or church, and there are rebellious ones inside the home or church. You know why you see a lot of people just swapping churches? It's just rebellion, just trying to find what they want in their church. Though we're going to look at some aspects of the sons, most of the focus will be on the actions of the father, the position he took the heart he had, and the response he gave to his sons. Luke 15, 12, it says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Now the father here respected the will of his sons to take a different direction than what the father had provided. He's going out on his own. The father, I believe, understood that this was a decision of his son. He was of age. He made a choice. A choice the father could not make for him, and I think the father knew it wasn't a choice that he could change. Not sure what the father knew exactly what his son might do. However, I have to believe that through raising a child and coming to this point and knowing him, that he probably perceived that his son's direction may be a school transfer. (laughs) From home and God to the school of hard knocks. What is amazing about the actions of the father is not not only about what he says, but just as importantly and perhaps more emphasized is what is not said. In these first lines of our text, the father says nothing. It simply says that to the response of his son, the father did not reply, but simply divided unto him his living. 
He did not even ask what his plans were or where he was going. The what or where was really insignificant. It was the direction he was going, and the father no doubt knew the answer to that. And he kept quiet. I believe saying nothing did several things. Number one, he respected the will of his son. You know, God did not force his will upon us. We are to choose God out of our free will for salvation. And we are to serve him as Lord and Savior out of our free will. The father did not withhold the means that would empower him to do wrong either. It says that God reigns on the just and the unjust. There is no swaying of will by withholding. You know, human nature, no, I'm not giving you that. I'm going to hold it back to try to change what's in his heart to do. <laughs> he gave it to him. What he gave him was his inheritance. And we'll talk about this later, but he did not give him anything else that belonged to his family. He gave him his portion. Number two, by saying nothing, he made sure that there was a clear, unobstructed path to return. We can really mess up here. Harmful words at these times, as true as they might be, as emotionally charged as you might be, you must recognize that both parties already understand their differences. You don't have to explain that. It's already known. You don't have to say anything. But voicing them can cause barriers for a return to God. Things that the son, in this case, could put into memory, never forgetting that the devil will say, you are never welcome back there. And that's what he wants to plant. He wants to put a barrier for you ever to come back. By the father saying nothing, number three, it would cause the son, well, think about this, you're leaving, and dad says nothing. What would you think? You would think, what is dad thinking? He would have to rely on what his dad's beliefs were. That's what he would have to focus on. That is what would stick with him. Though the son may not even recognize it, the father was giving him a different inheritance, an inheritance that he could never spend away. He would be giving him a spiritual inheritance. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Number four, by the father saying nothing, it's a revelation of faith by the father. That there comes a time when a son or daughter is of age, he must completely let go and let God do what he will in that child's life. Now I want you to picture this event of the child leaving happening more than likely on the front porch of the house. The front porch is the front porch because it faces the access and roadway to the world. It's like when you send your child to school, you go outside the home and you watch as the child leaves and gets on the bus. The porch is outside the home, yet attached to it. It's about as far as you can go until you have to let it go, let them go. But let me tell you something about the front porch. It's a place of expectation as well. 
It is at the porch when you look for that UPS package to come, that new bat you got, that new pot or pan that you ordered. It's a place also where the child looks for his dad to return home from work. I remember sitting on the porch waiting for my dad to come home from work so I could get in that lunchbox and get his cookie that he left for me. It's a place where the child returns home from school. And in the case of the prodigal son, the front porch represents a never-ending expectation of the father for him to return home. I would say that the porch is not only a picture of expectation, but also of faith, of hope, and prayer. At the departure of the prodigal son, I believe the father knew his son was in the school of hard knocks. I say that because later... The older son made a statement that seemed to be common knowledge. In Luke 15.30, But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed him the fatted calf. I think it was pretty well known that he was off doing the wrong things. So what, the, what did the father do when his son was getting a whipping from the Lord? And this is the second part of the message. It's the waiting part. It's the long part. A lot of times. What did the father do? How would, did he occupy till his son would return? Number one, he continued in his way of life. He worked and served as before. So many apparent fail in this area. To alter their life, to lose their personal work, to lose their finances, jumping off the porch, running after the wayward child, Many times it's at the expense of the rest of the family and other children. But worst of all, it's at the expense of the Word of God. Sometimes it's a good pastor, I've seen this, whose children or wife decide that the church needs to get with the times and begins to lower the standards of living for God. The pastor gives in to the next generation. And there goes the work he has lived his life for. I've seen it with those in political office who stand for marriage as one man and one woman for life until his child comes out and says he's gay. The congressman then jumps off the proverbial porch and associates with the child's sin. One of the biggest flaws I see in parents' thinking when it comes to giving or leaving an inheritance, and you'll listen, <laughs> they will give it or leave it to the one who, who has the least or they think needs it the most. And a lot of times that's the kid who wastes it the most, who needs it the least. In the story of the talents we spoke about in Matthew 25, the talent was taken away from the one who did not multiply it and gave it to the one who multiplied it the greatest. I know, that's not our thinking. You, you look out there, you, those mamas, you know, give their kids who are just ruining, wrecking things and, and uh, give it to them. Got a good child who will probably multiply it and do something with it and get the gospel out with it. Not there. Number two, he never forsook his son but he yearned for him to return. To me, it represents fervent prayer, faithful prayer, and expectation of prayer. 
in this story, it is interesting that it says, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The father saw him a great way off. The father went as far as he could go on the porch and he looked as far as he could see. He got as close as he could get to his son's predicament without interfering with God's plan or the will of his son. I believe he was passionate with his prayers for his son. Then there's the final part of the message, the return and response of his sons. It said he saw him. He was looking for him. He had compassion. Not anger, not I told you so, or why did you do anything like that? Only a heart. All you see is a heart of compassion. He ran towards him. He could no longer wait on the porch. It reminds me of the story in the Bible where Jesus did something for somebody and he said, don't tell anybody and what he do. He went and told him he couldn't help it. He had to get off the porch and he ran. He fell on his neck and he kissed him. Not a word again at this moment. Why? Because the communication did not need words at that moment. His actions communicated what words could not express. Though the father did not have any words, the son had to speak, though. Because he needed to verbalize his repentance. Luke 15, 21, And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight, and am no worthy, no more worthy to be called thy son. It's like salvation. You know, Jesus paid it all. But we have the need to confess, to repent, and humble ourselves as a guilty one. We, like the prodigal son, ask the forgiveness that already has been given. Though this is the joy of Jesus and the angels to see one come back to the Lord, it's imperative that we must reckon our guilt to ourselves. We become honest with ourselves. This is the telltale sign of a truly repented heart. It is, you might call it falling before our offended and never to rise up until the offended will raise us up. The father responded with a great celebration. Luke 15, 22, But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. He's saying he's my son. He's identifying him as his son. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Be it known, this, this was not a party in honor of his son. <laughs> it was in honor of God who brought the son back. After that party, I'm sure the prodigal son would no doubt have a rough road of recovery with a lot of regrets of what he did. But he was saved from destruction. And he was given a new life and a new chance. The reunion caused a great sharing of food and fellowship with all the house. 
except for one, the eldest son. We will find this son on the metaphoric back porch outside the party. It says he came close. I'll just say he's on the back porch for the sake of the message. And re- where they were rejoicing over the life, saved life of his brother. Now let's listen to the interaction between he and his father. Luke 15, 28, and he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. His father went out to find out what's going on. His father was concerned for his son to see what was the matter. He showed care and sensitivity. I presume his father probably had an idea of what the matter was, but the father was patient to let the son voice the matter. May I say that the father and son had a close enough relationship that the son felt comfortable expressing his anger and frustration to his father. A lot of times we'll guard things for people we don't trust. He was comfortable being vulnerable with his father. This is a good sign, even though he said some really wrong things. But it's good that your children will level with you. How many children will clam up or get guarded or say something like, you never understand, you don't care, or if you haven't figured it out by now, you'll never get it, or you never listen to me, and all you do is tell me what to do. This son, as ugly as it was, he laid out his heart. You've got to appreciate that. Luke 15, 29, he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Now, I, the father could jump on that pretty good. All, that's all he did was serve him. Uh, he changed his own diapers and, you know, taught himself everything in life and fed himself. <laughs> Neither transgressed I at any time. <laughs> that commandment. Father, just let this go. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, a goat, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, and that's kind of interesting, I just saw this. As soon as thy son, what, wasn't he a son? <laughs> Which had devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed the fat him, the fatted calf. Now again, this would be a time when a father might return the negativity with a sharp rebuke. And there's time sometimes, I think, for that. To say something like, quit your little self-pity party, get your priorities right, be a man and get back in that party and rejoice with your family and friends. But rather, this father did something very different. He looked past the words that could be hurtful. He did not hold it against his son, but looked past the surface to the root of the matter. That matter being the son was insecure of the father's love for him. We know that because of the father's initial statement. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me. And all that I have, all that I have is thine. I didn't take anything from you. Everything is yours. The message was in three parts. Son. He was saying, you're a son. (laughs) This is a special relationship. 
thou art ever with me. It's an eternal relationship. It can't change. Listen to what the Word of God says. I, this thing about losing your salvation is just so ungodly. All that I have is thine. There is, it's a secure relationship. You don't have to worry about anything. You've got it all. you got me, my son. There was the words of the message, but there was a tone with the message. It was a soft, tender, caring answer. A soft answer turneth away wrath. He was angry, remember? That anger needed to be turned away. But the response did not come without rebuke either. But with wisdom, dealing with a son who did live to please his father, the rebuke came from a positive viewpoint. He didn't go to the negative. He went to the positive. The father chose not to address this in a negative way, showing the wrong behavior. He chose to show him the right behavior by demonstrating the correct motive. He did not expose his wrong behavior to the son. He exposed the right behavior which would give a gracious way for the son to receive the instruction. We don't have a heart God. He deals with us very graciously. We want to make him as a hard God sometimes. But it's amazing what he is. He said it was meat. This is how he addressed it. He said it was meat that we should make merry and be glad for that. This thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. It does not say what the response was from his son, but the father used wisdom in his reply. James 3.17 But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and of good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. This wisdom opened the door for an easy admittance, repentance, and restoration. I could imagine in this situation, because of the father, how he responded. The son being softened by the reassuring, kind, heartfelt words of his father, which opened the door of his son's heart to be truly glad for his father, embracing the father and returning from the back porch, entering into the house to embrace his brother. I can picture that. Certainly the opportunity was there. That's what the father did, but it's not his choice. The choice would be his and his alone. Not sure how he responded to that. That's as far as we can go. We need to do our best to provide the clear door to repentance for those who would go wayward. That way is to stay on the porch and wait. You know, church discipline, if you Look at church discipline. It follows that same path. That same path for the rebellious church member. You know, it's better that we lose our children for a time than we snuggle up with them in their wrong decision and not only forever lose them, but also drag our other family, friends, church, and country into destruction. 
But when we dig our feet in for God, and we are sensitive, compassionate, going out on the front porch looking for and expecting God to do a mighty work in their life, we stand in the only place that we can stand to make a difference in our family, in our church, and in our country. The Bible simply calls these porches, if you had to put a name on it, the truth and love. Ephesians 4.15, But speaking the truth and love may grow up into Him all things, which is the head, even Christ. 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. May we be found like our Heavenly Father on the porches of our house, the place of righteousness where love connects to truth, a place where our children know they can find us, serving God faithfully in the place we are called to. This is the principle by which we will reach a lost and dying world. And may I say, this is the context of this passage in Luke chapter 15. The parable in Luke chapter 15 is the third parable of this chapter. The first being the lost sheep leaving the 99 and, and, and the shepherd leaving the 99 to find the one and coming back rejoicing. The second being the lost coin with her neighbors and friends rejoicing with her when she finds it. But what was it that provoked these parables? For the Lord to give these parables. Luke 15, 1. It said, Then drew near unto him all the publicans, and you might be there, you could read along. This is the beginning of the chapter. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Sounds like the prodigal son in the third parable. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners. And eateth with them. Doesn't that sound like the heart of the eldest son in the third parable of the prodigal son? And it says, And he spake this parable unto them. All three parables ended with these statements. Luke 15, 7. And I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Luke 15, 10, Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Luke 15, 31, And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. I'll give you another spin. We were talking about Hebrews for the joy that was set before. There's a lot of joy. He's talking about this is what the joy is, folks. We need to see people come to the Lord. Everything else is secondary about that. There's plenty of examples of of people had God had their they had their priorities wrong, messed up. One of which was Martha and Mary. Very similar situation here. 
Luke 10, 38, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Mary received him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, nothing wrong with that, and came to him, this is the problem, and said, this is a sound like the son in the parable, the, the eldest son, does not thou care that my sister had left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. It's just how the father answered the little son. Thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. The priority of God is relationships. To seek the loss that they might be saved, to seek the return of the wayward Christian, to have close fellowship with our Lord through the Holy Spirit. God's got everything else taken care of. Everything else in life, as important as it may be, is secondary to the joyful relationship with God. We won't win the battle of soul winning by staying inside the house. I kind of said, you know, that's like the truth and keeping the truth inside. It's a good place to be. And it won't be by getting off the porch, mixing with the world. It will be fought on the porch where truth and love meet together. Let's pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed and the pianist coming to play. A lot of instruction here. Instruction we need, we need to be reminded of. Of how to handle situations. Probably every one of us here could probably think of some kind of human relationship where this applies. How do we handle it? Maybe we mishandled it. You know, there's a few things about mishandling things. They're very simple, but very hard. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. It's so simple. It's so hard. Are you dealing with a situation in your life where you need this wisdom to be pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and of good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy? Maybe you'll think a little different when you go sit out on your porch. A lot of times we don't take time, do we, to sit out on the front porch or even the back porch. But for what that could represent, it's a good place to have some reflection. Amen. Thank you for your attention. Message went a little bit longer this morning. I pray God uh, spoke to your heart and helped you today. Give you some good, solid advice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessings in life. Pray you bless each family, Lord. Give them, give them the help they need.
as they build their home, they build their life, and as they struggle across relationships, how to respond and to bring you into the situation. Well, thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.